Welcome to the third podcast of The Black Dahlia and the Blue Dahlia. This is your host, Scott Tracy. The focus of the podcast is the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short and the press coverage of The Black Dahlia. The Los Angeles police plan to send Jane Doe's fingerprints to the FBI by air. However, blizzards have grounded flights to the East Coast. James Richardson of the Los Angeles Examiner offers the Los Angeles Police Department an opportunity to use the Hearst newspaper exclusive sound photo, an early incarnation of the fax machine. A wire photo transmission of each fingerprint is enlarged and sent to the Washington Herald, where FBI agents wait for the large copies of each single fingerprint. Within hours, the FBI identifies Elizabeth Short as the victim, based on her employment at the Camp Cook military base and her arrest for underage drinking by the Santa Barbara police at the age of 19 at the bar of the El Paseo restaurant. This arrest photo is the one commonly used on book covers and in magazines. One can easily understand why it would be chosen as it is a striking image. Elizabeth Short is handsome, defiant, and vulnerable. I'm very drawn to the range of emotions that are visible in this photograph, as there is chaos at the edge. Beth's wild, dense hair and untidy bow tie frame her face. The use of makeup is restrained, atypical for Beth. The earrings are elegant. There's a compelling architecture to this face. Her cheekbones are a force. Her neck is noble. Her jaw juts powerfully forward, challenging the camera. Her lips are slightly parted, tender and full. There's no expectation of words. This is a mouth that is as likely to spit in your face as blow a kiss. At the center of this enigmatic photo, her imbalanced eyes, cautious and curious. These are the eyes of an animal captured at the moment of decision, to fight or flee, revealing an unexpected level of tension between Elizabeth and the camera. The beam of light that travels from her face to the lens is as taut as a rope. This photograph that captures the elusive essence of this beckoning and rebellious young woman presents a visual that calls out equally to Bonnie Parker and Jane Russell. It is in every way an arresting picture. Many of us struggle with our embarrassing driver's license photos, and here is Beth Short with what may be the most attractive mugshot in history. It's a haunting familiar image as we know the horrific fate that awaits the Black Dahlia. This mugshot was taken by Santa Barbara arresting police officer Mary Uncafer. Short stays with Ungafer in the days after the arrest until the juvenile court releases Miss Short on probation. Beth is sent home by train on October 2nd, 1943, heading east to Boston, Massachusetts. Officer Uncafer noticed Elizabeth had a rose tattooed on her leg and loved to sit so that it would show. The Hearst newspapers are quick to act on their scoop, reporters are sent to Santa Barbara to learn more about her time at the military base. James Richardson instructs reporter Wayne Sutton, 
to call Beth's mother, Phoebe Short, in Medford, Massachusetts. And so on instructions from his boss, Sutton informs Phoebe that Elizabeth has won a beauty contest in order to get more information before revealing the true reason for the contact. The newspaper learns that Elizabeth was in San Diego recently where she worked at a naval hospital and previously she'd been in Hollywood working as a film extra. It is horrible for newspaper reporters to lie to Phoebe Short about her daughter. Ironically, much of what the mother tells the reporter are lies Elizabeth Short told her mother. Beth never worked at the San Diego Naval Hospital at Balboa Park. She never worked at all in San Diego or Los Angeles or Long Beach. She never had any acting parts in any Hollywood studio movie. The Hollywood myth begins then with a lie in a daughter's letter to her mother repeated to a newspaperman. It's compelling to compare how news frames the murder and the victim in the first days of investigation. So we're going to quote the Baltimore Sun first. Murder of the Black Dahlia laid to a sex-perverted madman. The mutilation slayer of attractive 22-year-old Elizabeth Short, whose butchery was described by a police psychologist as the work of a sex-perverted madman was being sought on a nationwide scale today with authorities trying to locate her several, quote, boyfriends, end quote. Her suitors were many, said police captain Lauren Q. Martin of Long Beach, where she had lived until recently. He added that hangers-on at a neighborhood drugstore near where she lived called her, quote, the Black Dahlia, end quote, because of her raven hair and jet black clothing she usually wore. The newspapers frame the shock of the mutilation by psychology. Who would do this? A sex pervert. So which of her many boyfriends is a perverted, violent sex killer? Very important to notice that the police statement is that it's hangers-on at the drug counter, not friends, not acquaintances, people that know her only by sight. Boyfriends in three services. Police would particularly like to question an unidentified army lieutenant described as tall and handsome. Miss Short allegedly told friends she intended to marry him. She also was frequently visited at a Long Beach hotel by a Navy man. Policewoman Merle McBride asserted Miss Short once asked her for protection from a discharged Marine who the girl described as, quote, insanely jealous, end quote. Note that McBride says Miss Short asked her for protection from an insane serviceman. This is going to come back to haunt McBride as she did everything correctly given the circumstances, but it's unfortunate for the image of the Los Angeles police that Elizabeth Short is brutally tortured and murdered just after she asked for police protection earlier on that same day. Let's continue with the Baltimore Sun. Shortly after she took a clerk's job at the post exchange at Camp Cook near Santa Barbara, said her former boss, Miss Inez Keeling. She was at first shy and bashful and never dated soldiers. At that time, she was a model employee in all respects, not smoking and seldom drinking. A few months later, Miss Keeling said, she began to go out with the soldiers several times a week. So, 
According to the Sun, it's committed by a crazy ex-serviceman. Let's compare this to another story, this out of the San Francisco paper. Quote, officers concentrated on locating a supposed airline employee known as Red, with whom Beth left San Diego a week before the killing. Also unidentified is the, quote, short dark man, end quote, who paid Miss Short's rent when she lived previously at a Hollywood hotel. This man drove an old black Ford sedan similar to the car observed at the vacant lot a few hours before the body was discovered. Still another suspect police want to question is a jealous marine suitor. The search for him was started after an incident related by policewoman Merlock O. McBride. She related that the girl, so filled with terror that she was crying, ran up to her at a downtown bus station and asked for protection against an ex-marine boyfriend who once threatened to kill me if he found me with another man. Beth explained that she'd just encountered the marine in a bar and had been so frightened that she'd run out without her purse and wraps. Officer McBride went to the bar with the girl while retrieving these articles. The policewoman advised Mrs. Short to go home. But the girl returned to the bus station, explaining, My daddy's coming in two hours from now. Two hours from now was the time the bus was due from San Diego. Quote, Daddy, end quote, apparently referred to her boyfriend, Red, from whom she received a telegram from San Diego. Well, that's not true. Red didn't send the telegram from San Diego, and... uh, We've no idea who Daddy is. It's not Cleo, and it's not um, Red Manley. It's fascinating that Beth is wearing black dresses, and now in this article, it's a sheer black dress. And that source for the sheer comment is a bartender at the Four Star Grill in Hollywood, Buddy Lagore, who remembers seeing Elizabeth on January 10th one of the so-called missing days, when he says, quote, it looked like she'd been sleeping in her clothes for days. Her sheer black dress was stained, soiled, and otherwise crumpled quite a bit. Her hair was straggly and some lipstick had been smeared hit or miss on her lips. It's very important that Meryl Old McBride is saying Beth was crying and filled with terror. And of course, McBride advises her to go home and Beth goes back inside. You certainly have a, a, a theme in the paper, a careless youth of America, you know, pay a price when they don't listen to their elders. Uh, it's fascinating to see what the paper across the bay does in comparison. This is the Oakland Tribune on the same day. Los Angeles authorities today followed a trail of two dozen boyfriends in their search for the murderer of Miss Elizabeth Betty Short, 22, whose nude body was found bisected and badly mutilated in a lover's lane early Wednesday. Police said their number one suspect appeared to be a red-haired ex-Marine who was seen with the young movie extra known as The Black Dahlia a week before she was strung up nude and tortured to death, probably by a jealous, mad, denied suitor. The Tribune really plays up the loose women card. Lover's Lane, here it's used almost to say, well, she went to the well too many times. She'd be alive today if she'd been a good girl and never gone to Lover's Lane. 
uh, this bad girl side of the story is spelled out in a later part of the article by Beth Short's hairdresser. Quote, Alex Constance, 44, a Hollywood hairstylist who said he dressed the murdered girl's hair and sometimes took her out, said Beth had told him she was afraid of the Marine, but she was afraid to turn him down because he was so jealous. Well, if you're reading this, it, it sounds like there's only one Marine, that the Hollywood Marine is the same Marine at the downtown bar and in San Diego and in Santa Barbara. It's not the case. Before the press has better information, they and the police both assume there's just the one Marine because their goal is to winnow the suspect list as small as possible. So, uh, Constance said he once saw the man arrive at Elizabeth's apartment driving a dark-colored 1937 sedan. This is in reference to the Marine. Residents near the lover's lane where Miss Short's hacked and severed body, scrubbed clean and fitted together, was found Wednesday, reported seeing an old black sedan stop at the curb. Beth sometimes posed in the nude for a Hollywood photographer, her friend Constance said. The hairdresser said she sometimes played her many men against each other, making dates, then breaking them. I warned her that would get her into trouble. Well, we don't know the name of the man that paid the rent. Indeed, there's much that we don't know. However, that doesn't mean that the police didn't locate, interview, and release the man, but chose not to allow his name to be published in the newspaper. Another friend questioned in the case is former Army flyer Joseph Fickling, now employed by 20th Century Airlines, Raleigh, North Carolina. Police clearly state he's not a suspect. Fickling discloses that he received a letter from Miss Short writing uh, on the 8th of January in which Beth said she'd hoped to go to Chicago to model and she mentions a man named Jack. A wardrobe trunk of Miss Short's is discovered in Union Station and it contains love letters from Fickling which indicated he didn't know whether she was more interested in him compared to any of her other 20-odd boyfriends. So Joseph Fickling is the man that Elizabeth Short came to see in Long Beach in July of 1946. And she does tell some that she plans to marry him. They register at the Washington Hotel on July 22nd, signing in as Mr. and Mrs. There's a very strict law at this time with hotels, given that there's so many issues after the war involving uh, housing. So with the shortage, they only allow a guest to stay at a hotel for five days, then they have to move. So this couple will move to different hotels in Long Beach, then they check into a hotel in Hollywood, that's the Briefport, and so they play house at various hotels, and then Beth strikes out on her own on August 27, 1946. Fickling never hears anyone call Elizabeth the Black Dahlia. Her friends never call Elizabeth the Black Dahlia. Why would they? There is no such flower. No dahlias are black. 
Most dark dahlias are dark burgundy, some are deep purple, none are black. Black and dahlia, those two words never existed next to each other in print until January of 1947. Elizabeth Short was not named after a flower that was not in her hair. She wasn't named after a flower that didn't exist. She wasn't named by her friends. Her, quote, nickname, end quote, derives from a current movie title because she's a wannabe actress and her lunch counter public that invents this nom de guerre for the new girl in town. It's a lighthearted and mocking nickname for a naive wannabe. Beth is not named for who she is, but she's labeled by her presentation of herself as if she's dressing up to audition. I was not at the lunch counter. I never lived in Long Beach, but in my years in Hollywood and Los Angeles, I can tell you that mocking yokels is a local sport. The Blue Dahlia in the movie, by the way, is a nightclub. This famous film played for one week at the Fox West Coast Movie Theater at Ocean Avenue, 333 East Ocean Avenue, from July 31st through August 5th of 1946. Elizabeth Short and Gordon Fickling live one block east of the movie theater at the Washington Hotel at 53 Linden Avenue. Landers Drug is at 102 Linden Avenue at the corner of First, so it's one half block north of the hotel. So this is the lunch counter where all the loker hanger-ons are going to give Miss Short the epithet, the Black Dahlia. So that's how the Blue Dahlia mystery movie becomes the Black Dahlia victim. We do know a little bit of what happens at this uh, bar based on uh, what the owner spoke of, but also a man by the name of Robert Robertson, who meets Beth at the lunch counter. He tells the police that the two of them would walk to the beach often after breakfast. They did that multiple times. At one point, they ride the trolley to Hollywood and uh, take some pictures. Beth wrote to him at home in Idaho for a period of time. Beth was overly friendly with strangers. And of course, this does create friction in a relationship with Fickling. Let's get right back to the paper for a moment. Described as lovely, innocent, and shy in 1943 when she first came to California for her health, the black-haired beauty had changed into a man-crazy adventuress during three years of gay living in four Southern California cities. Homicide officers piercing together her career discovered their list of suspects was as numerous as the men she attracted in Santa Barbara, Long Beach, Hollywood, and San Diego. Well, the paper highlights sex as the motive, and a jealous mad suitor is denied sex and kills in rage. I think adventurous sounds an awful lot like adulterous, don't you? And I love this dig about the evil cities of Southern California coming from a Northern California newspaper. Long Beach, San Diego, Santa Barbara, and Hollywood, dens of men crazy adventuresses. Well, I think we should all move there, don't you? Oh my goodness. Cleo Short, who is the father of the dead girl, 
is located in Los Angeles today and tells detectives, I want nothing to do with this. He said he had separated from his wife several years ago and left the family. Five years ago, Elizabeth wrote to me and I sent her some money to come out here. We set up housekeeping, but she wouldn't stay home. In 1943, I told her, go her way and I'll go mine. In the paper, there's news about finding Elizabeth Short's trunk at the station. Now her love letters are, are used against her. Now, in this version of Daddy, the father, Cleo, is introduced as the disappointing and disapproving adult. It's amazing that Mr. Cleo Short could be the hero of any story. Cleo was the husband and father that abandoned his wife and five daughters during the Depression by fainting suicide. He lives his car at a bridge and walks away. Nine years later, he writes to Phoebe, who declines to speak to him. Beth, however, does correspond, and Cleo sends her $200 during the war for her to come and live with him in Vallejo, California. Cleo expects Beth to be his maid and cook, and instead Beth is a typical teenager who hangs out with boys at night and sleeps late during the day. And so it sounds like Beth was the same girl there as she would be in Hollywood and at the French's in Pacific Beach. So note that she's dating in Vallejo before she was the good girl at Camp Cook. And so across the board, the newspaper's narrative uh, just doesn't hold. And I want to point out the often reported part of the story where Cleo throws her out. Remember this, Cleo and Beth moved from Vallejo to Los Angeles together. Cleo Short's acquaintance from Vallejo, Mrs. Yankee, owns a house in Los Angeles on 36th Street near Exposition, and they live there for three weeks. Then Beth leaves for Camp Cook. And this illustrates how false this hollow myth that Beth wants to be a movie star as her prime motive because she leaves Massachusetts to come to Vallejo, not Hollywood. She moves to Los Angeles for three weeks, and then she leaves for Lompoc, which is three hours north from Hollywood. May as well be 10,000 miles from Hollywood. So this attractive, beautiful young woman chooses men in uniform more than a wishful movie career. And frankly, the odds of finding a husband are far greater than the odds of any wannabe becoming a movie star. 1028 and a half West 36th Street in Los Angeles is a mere four minute drive from the vacant lot on South Norton Avenue. What does that mean? Well, nothing. It's a coincidence. And one does get caught up in all of these associations and coincidences and suspects are often brought to the forefront of the mystery when they seem to have a potential connection to the murder. With a little research, one realizes, no, this is a coincidence. It's not a connection. Cleo Short refuses to identify the body and is in a drunken stupor every time the police try to interview him. They're stepping over empty wine bottles and they realize he's not a suspect. But uh, stepping over empty booze bottles is the Los Angeles gay living that doesn't make the Oakland Tribune. There is a lone woman murder 
in downtown Los Angeles on this day, January 18, 1947. A 37-year-old black woman is found beaten and strangled with a stocking in bed Sunday morning by the manager of the Weller Hotel in Japantown. I'm not going to say this correctly. Asachi Urahi, who names her companion from the previous night to be a white man. Within two weeks, Mary's husband, a black musician, is arrested and released. Six months later, a 40-year-old white man, Oscar Hallgren, a former film technician, is then identified as the man uh, that the manager saw, and he is arrested. Hallgren will be found not guilty at trial. Interestingly, in the book Cases That Haunt Us, written by John Douglas, he surmises this murder is a copycat Black Dahlia killing. Ah, that's nonsense. There's nothing copycat about this at all. But there are a few times where people will list this as one of the lone murders. The press telegram in 1949 is going to include the Tate murder as one of the lone women murders. But if we're going to compare the Black Dahlia to the majority of these lone women murders, rarely do these other crimes intersect with the levels of the Black Dahlia murder mystery because the victimology is so different. Most of these unsolved cases, the contact is sexual, and uh, sometimes the killing is rape-related rather than torture-driven. So, Laura Trellsdad, Evelyn Winters, Alice Burns, Angela Loya, Loretta Robertson, the commonality of these unsolved murders is that they involve strangers and the police have no suspects. There's only a handful of Los Angeles police officers and reporters that know of Mary Tate's murder in January of 1947. I want to point out that there's no article in the Herald Express or the Long Beach Telegram or the Los Angeles Times or the, Herald, the Examiner about the death of Mary Tate on January 18th or 19th, or any date in January, or February, or March, or April, or June. Nothing. I mean, today, what a newsworthy story. A white man kills a black woman in Japantown? Tell me more. In 1947, only the black newspaper, The Sentinel, writes about the Mary Tate murder, and only when the husband, Terry, is being arrested in early February. Later that same year, when the white man, Oscar Halgren, is arrested for the crime, July 1947, only then does the Los Angeles Times write a story about the arrest of a white man for the murder of a black woman. So very little is known about the facts of this violent crime because there's no ongoing press coverage. So we're not likely that it's a planned murder given that three eyewitnesses observed them together on that night. Are Mary and Oscar lovers? Is it a business transaction? Is it a chance pickup gone wrong? There's just too many unknowns. Was she raped? The only other women killed in hotels are prostitutes. It gives you that. The cross-racial element is concerning given the time period. Did she die because Oscar Halgren thought Mary was disposable? It, it may be the way that the jury saw that crime as well. The Mary Tate murder has nothing in common with any of the unique Black Dahlia signatures. Beth was tortured, slashed with a knife, mutilated after death, washed, 
severed and displayed in public. Mary Tate only shares uh, similar themes with other lone women murders, and the, you know, the murderer uses a weapon at hand to silence her screams. So in this case, Mary strangled with a stocking. Her body is left at the scene of the crime. So Georgette Baradorf's murder, uh, Georgette is killed with a cloth bandage. Uh, so, you know, it's not a copycat murder. It's not a copy. No one's aware of the murder at all. And uh, the, everyone is aware of the Black Dahlia. You know, one more thing. I have a witness that I want to introduce to you. His name is Todd Faulkner. Because he has memories of Beth Short in Long Beach when he was a boy of 12 years old. He saw Elizabeth Short. We know this story because he became a reporter for the Los Angeles Times when he grew up, and in 1971, Todd interviewed retired Los Angeles Police Department homicide detective Harry Hansen. And that article of the Black Dahlia we quoted earlier, that was from that article. So, but 24 years previously, Todd and a friend who's a newsboy would sit in front of Todd Faulkner's father's pinball concession at the entrance to the Long Beach Pike. And as boys will do, they paid attention to the young ladies in bathing suits strolling on the boardwalk. One person they noticed multiple times coming to and from a local bar and dressed for the ocean was a young woman whose face the boys would later recognize on the front pages. The Landers drug counter is a common daytime visit for Beth. As you recall, she's living with Joseph Fickling at this time. And the Landers drug store is a place one might purchase suntan lotion. It's not a dressy nightclub where Beth is going to wear her evening outfits. But Beth is certainly going to be noticed as she wears a revealing two-piece bathing suit. And any 12-year-old boy would remember the excitement they felt when they saw a rose tattoo on a pretty girl's thigh. Remember the morals of the period. A tattooed lady is a sideshow act at a circus. A bikini is a whole new concept, only invented in 1946, designed by Louis Renard. He could not find any model who would willingly expose so much flesh in his tiny creation, so he locates a willing 19-year-old nude dancer from the Casino de Paris, Michel Bernardini, the American two-piece bathing suits of the day were far more modest, not showing any cleavage, and the top is held in place always by two shoulder straps. Even so, two-piece suits are deemed very risque for married women and young mothers, especially because husbands and mothers would be shocked if their daughters and, and wives dressed in such a revealing manner. If you look at what's in the catalog, it's about 90-10. If you look at beautiful um, pinup girls on the internet, well, then it looks like half the women in 1946 are wearing two-piece suits. It's not true. Even 20 years later, Annette Funicello is wearing a two-piece suit to make a surf movie, but her bottom has to cover her belly button. So, Elizabeth Short's beach attire shows more midriff, only held by one strap on one side, and so those are revealing touches that everyone is going to take note of in 1946. The nom de guerre, the Black Dahlia, is a result of a young woman who seeks attention 
coming into contact with citizens who've seen it before. Because stars are always glamorous when you see them on the red carpet. Whenever the new kid comes to town, she wants to dress up. It's a rookie move. Actual stars dress down. Look, if Barbara Streisand wants to shop anonymously, her makeup person can dress her up like a bag lady with a black American Express card so Barbara can get things done without being interrupted. Thanks for listening. The next podcast, the police discover a suspicious man who talks murder in his sleep.